0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the
1: Post's newsroom to life on stage. Renee Montgomery, a point guard for the Atlanta Dream, joins the Washington Post to discuss why she decided to opt out of the WNBA season to fight racism, social injustice, and voter suppression. Let's listen.
0: Good afternoon. I'm Jonathan Capehart, opinion writer for the Washington Post. Welcome to Washington Post Live. Basketball player Renee Montgomery is a star athlete, a point guard for the Atlanta Dream. She's a two-time WNBA champion. But in June, Montgomery decided to take a time out. Less than a month after the killing of George Floyd, Montgomery announced that she would sit out the 2020 WNBA season to focus on social justice reform. Moments equal momentum, she said in a tweet revealing her decision. So what's her perspective four months later? Well, let's find out. Renee Montgomery, welcome to Washington Post Live.
1: Ah, oh, thank you for having me. My parents are super excited for me to be here with you, so I had to get that in there early.
0: <laughs> hey, mom. Hey, dad. <laughs> <laughs> well, Renee, your, your decision was was momentous. Um, we, we're used to we've been used to seeing uh, professional athletes take stands or take a knee in, in for for racial justice reform or for social justice. But talk us through your decision to sit out the season and focus on social justice reform.
1: Yeah, you know, it was difficult. And, and that, to me, missing basketball was the hardest part. You know, I knew that this was what I wanted to do, but it's just something that basketball has been what I've done since I was 10. And so it just made the, the decision that much more difficult. But I just thought about it. You know, I talked to my parents and they told me to pray on it and just to, to sit on it. And so it wasn't like I made the decision overnight. You know, I just I just kept seeing and it wasn't as if things stopped. So even as I was starting to make the decision, then Ahmaud Arbery got killed and I'm sitting here in Georgia living here. So it just was thing after thing that kept happening. And then I just knew I was like, yeah, this is this is what I want to do this year.
0: Yeah, I love how your parents said, you know, the, you know, pray on it. Because yeah. you know that's what my mother says as well.
1: <laughs> but you know this
0: isn't this isn't just a, um, a decision to oh, I'm not going to play basketball. This is your job and yeah. your livelihood. So how much did that factor into your decision into your decision?
1: Oh, it was huge. You know, it was even one of the things that Coach Ariama, you know, my coach from UConn, brought up. It was just like you know when you're making these decisions, they don't only affect you. So you know I have a family and I have different people depending on me. So making a decision to opt out of my only job at the time, it, it was, it was pretty, a pretty radical decision, I would say. But, you know, everyone I talked to, my family, my parents, as I was telling them them, telling them that they all just were in very, like, they were so supportive. And, and I pretty much knew that, you know, my support system wasn't going to let me fail. Like, they, if they knew that that's what I wanted to do, they were going to do whatever they could to, to help me do what I wanted to do.
0: Let me get you to expand on something you were asked during during an interview, just a couple days after your announcement um, with, I cannot remember the name of the interviewer, but um, a, a, another woman, um, it was on the SBS 2020. That was the band. Yes, 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 yes. And so she asked you a question I thought was actually very astute and very important. And that was, why is it? That it's always black people and in your case black athletes that have to make the sacrifice or make sacrifices in order to pursue social justice reform or or racial justice reform. Could you talk more about um, your feelings on that? The sacrifice.
1: Yeah, I think uh, it's showing your intention so that people understand that you're serious. I mean, I think that's basically what the sacrifice does. You know, um, people. When I decided to opt out, people understood that I was really passionate about this cause, you know, and people understood that for me to give up my career, you know, even if it is for a timeout, people understand that, okay, I really uh, am interested in this topic. And then they want to hear what I have to say. And that's the whole point. You know, me opting out was to shed spotlight on what's going on and making sure that we all see what's going on so that we obviously we're not going to fix it right now, but so that we can understand this needs to be fixed
0: hmm Okay, so you said you wanted people to focus on what you have to say. So you made the decision to um, sit out the rest of the season. What what did you say? What are you saying?
1: I'm saying that things need to change, you know, and I think that we all understand that. And and that's why I said everybody is looking at me and, and I'm looking at everyone else, too, in a sense of we all have a platform. And my platform, WNBA, gave me a platform by playing in front of millions of people. And Instagram gives me a platform as well. Everyone has their own platform. So what I'm trying to say to people is we're all kind of waiting on someone else to fix the problem. But we all could take a little part of the problem as our own and take ownership of it. And if everyone decides to fix a little bit every day, then I think that we could all fix our own problem. But it's just everyone looking at each other like, well, somebody better do something about this. (laughs)
0: You know, I know I mentioned in the intro that um, you announced by Twitter, Moments Equal Momentum, but that's the name of your of your initiative. Talk more about that, Moments Equal Momentum.
1: Yeah, so I sent the tweet out, and and a lot of people gravitated to that part of it, that the Moments Equal Momentum, when I was doing different interviews, people were talking about Moments Equal Momentum, and I'm like, that part stuck with people. So I decided to so that people could connect what, me opting out to what I was doing, I named the whole initiative, Moment Sequel Momentum, so that they could know what I'm trying to get momentum with. And, and what I was trying to get momentum with and still am is November the 3rd. So I had a campaign called Remember the 3rd of November, just plain and simple. Remember it. Don't forget it, because we all got to do something on November 3rd. And that's not it. That's just start one. Um, and so Remember the 3rd is just an educational piece telling people, you know, vote to the bottom of the ballot. How do you find out about who's on the ballot? What does your mayor do? What does your governor do? Why does that affect you? So just trying to educate people to the polls was, was what that was for. And, and then the last yard, it's an HBCU initiative trying to bring those explosive fields in tech and tech and different things of that nature to the black and brown community.
0: And, and I do want to talk about, about the election in a moment, but one more question here on sort of athletic activism. WNBA WNB player, players were among the first athletes to wear warm-up shirts with social justice messaging affirming that Black Lives Matter hold media blackouts and even kneel during the national anthem. And in a recent article, uh, the New York Times said, and I quote, the women of the the WNBA have made it a hotbed of activism. Did women athletes lead the way on this?
1: I mean, Black women have led the way before. So I would say that it's on par for of women athletes to do it because even the WNBA is comprised of eighty percent minority. So I think that we are fit for the task, and I think a lot of us are up for it. And I think that's the main thing. No one ever made us do that. You know, four years ago with the Minnesota Lynx, our team didn't make us do that. The city didn't make us do that. We did that. You know, that was a group of collective of of women that just decided that we wanted to make a statement and again, shed light on things that we don't approve of. and, and it didn't go well in 2016 as everyone knows but but now fast forward to 2020 and the whole WNBA season is dedicated to social justice so that's that's saying a lot
0: mhm all right we're going to slide start sliding <laughs> into electoral politics uh, you recently wrote an open letter to Sen- to senator kelly leffler the co-owner of the Atlanta Dream and the republican senator from Georgia who has said that black lives matter that the black lives matter movement threatens to destroy America. Has she responded to your ask to sit down and talk about these issues?
1: She has not. Um, And I'm actually surprised. I did think that she would get back to me in in, in some way, shape or form, but I haven't heard anything.
0: Uh, I'm curious, did you have um, um, any kind of rapport with her before she was appointed to the Senate uh, last
1: December? Um, yeah, somewhat. You know, like we weren't we weren't besties, as you can imagine. <laughs> you know, just as her her being the owner, that wouldn't have been normal anyway. But we were uh, in in speaking terms and in different things. When I saw her at the games, I spoke to her. Um we we've texted before, so it wasn't as if we're complete strangers, no.
0: I, I, I asked that question because I wondered if you noticed a change in her. Um, from you know, pre-Senator Leffler to post-Senator Leffler,
1: And that's like the question of the hour, isn't it? <laughs> um, no, I, I, uh, it's interesting because, you know, it's one of those things where people say you never talk politics, right? So I never necessarily talk politics, but some of the stuff that she's saying, I don't even know if it is politics or if it's social issues. So um, I would say I was surprised, you know, just in the sense of who I knew before she was running. It didn't it didn't seem to line up with who she is running.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Let me bring in a question from from a viewer. David Rubenstein from Maryland. I wonder if that's the same David Rubenstein I'm thinking of. But David Rubenstein asks, What specific legislative changes would you like to see to see made when it comes to racial justice?
1: See, that's the thing too. So when we're when we're talking about legislative changes, that that's great. It but I think that there needs to be cultural changes as well. How how we police needs to be changed. And no, I'm not saying defund the police. I'm saying that how the culture of policing, there's something wrong when you can have a couple of cops sit on somebody's neck and their body for nine minutes and the other cops don't say anything. To me, that's a cultural problem in policing. And and we always say it. there's good police out there. Every, like I have teammates who have family members that are police officers. And so there's good police, policing out there. But the bad policing is starting to overshadow it. So for me, we have to start, when we're talking about racial things, we have to start controlling how we police each other, how we treat each other. And I know it sounds like, you know, Barney, but I do think that there needs to be a certain standard that everybody, when they get pulled over, they know to expect one thing like, oh, am I going to get a ticket or am I going to get locked up? It's not. It shouldn't be, oh, am I going to survive it? And so I think that, you know, when we start talking about laws and different things, that is how you change it. You start with voting, but I think this—it's a cultural change. We have to have a whole cultural shift.
0: I want to stick. I was going to keep going on on voting, but I'm going to stick with this cultural change thing because you yeah. you you mentioned cultural change and you talked about it in terms of of the police and changing the culture of police and policing. But I'm curious yeah. your thoughts on overall cultural change. Do you think that we as Americans need to change? the way we go about things and think about issues as they pertain to social justice?
1: Oh, absolutely. I I do. I think that that's what 2020 is going to be about. And I've been saying that while we're fixing a lot of the racial problems and we're shedding a lot of light on what's going on racially, well, there's some gender inequalities that we need to tackle as well. And so being in the WNBA and going back to that, you know, we're right at the intersection. You know, we're, we're a, a league comprised of all women and then a high minority league. So, so yeah, we're right in the cusp of exactly what where discrimination lies. And so, yeah, I think that there needs to be different cultural changes, even when we talk about just big companies, you know, and, and some of the ones that Adam Silver is a great example where he talks about it. He says it openly that we need to do better with representation. We need to do better with supporting black businesses that's what it takes. Like, that's a cultural change because the NBA has been here for 70-plus years, and in 2020 is the year we're talking about we need to do better. And so, uh, to me, that's exciting because we do need to do better, and that's what I mean by culturally. It starts with the Mm -hmm. sports, and then it goes to other places.
0: You you know, something in your answer um, sort of triggered for me. Another question that we have from a viewer this time from California, from Karen Humphrey, and Karen asks: To what extent do you think the intersectional issue of gender needs to be incorporated into discussions about race?
1: Exactly. Yes, Karen. Um, that's you new. Know, uh, yes, Karen. But I, I would say that <laughs> the the thing is, it's all the same. And I said, right now, the United States of America, under Construction. Like you can just tell it with the election. There's a lot of changes happening. There's a lot of people asking for change to happen. We are under construction, to say the least. And the good thing about being under construction is that there's usually something beautiful that happens on the other side. And so when we get there, I think that we need to make sure that we clean up all the bad stuff in a sense of how we treat race and how we treat gender equalities. And I think representation matters, and I keep saying that because if you start to look around at businesses and the people in management don't represent who you're selling to, or the people in management don't represent your clientele, or even just what your city population looks like, well, then there's a problem there.
0: I love that. The United States of America is, we're under, we're under construction. Under construction. That, that, is, that is terrific. All right. So one of the things about America being under construction is, as you've mentioned, November 3rd election day, although it's election season with people voting already, particularly in Georgia. And and you were there there in Atlanta. And I would love to know your thoughts about the long lines of people and the high turnout of people early voting in Georgia.
1: Look, I was excited. This is a catch-22, right? Like, I'm so excited that everyone is getting out there to vote, like I really am. I'm never going to be mad about long lines in the sense of yes, everyone's going, so it's working. But I do wish that there was a better system. You know, I wish that there wasn't necessarily those long lines. And and even just with the work that I've done with more than a vote, and the work that more than a vote has done, getting forty thousand volunteers to work the polls, opening up arenas in different cities to try to combat the lines, and then just seeing, you know, there's there's still going to be there's still going to be the fights on, the, on all different fronts. So. You know, I've even seen where some of the drop boxes are getting pulled and, and different things of that nature. But what I say to all that is when people start doing extra stuff, that means that it's working. So keep standing in the lines, keep voting, keep doing whatever you need to do, cast your ballot. Like, whatever you gotta do to cast it, do it.
0: Mm-hmm. Renee, are you here? What, well, what are you hearing from, from folks on the ground? Are, are people waiting in line because they are enthusiastic? Or are they waiting in line because they wanna make sure their vote is counted? Are they waiting in line because they wanna get rid of the current administration? Or is it all of the above or none of the above?
1: Listen, I've actually heard all of the above. Somebody told me it was lit in line. So that's, listen, it's Atlanta. So I think that they was partying in the lines and everything, but I think that that says a lot that people, that's what you need to do. And when we talk about culture, Voting hasn't necessarily been like the strongest part of our culture where, you know, everybody's going to do it. It's going to be the cool thing to do. But what they're partying at the polls and they're and when I say partying, I just mean fellowshipping, enjoying each other, like not just sitting there mad waiting, just actually gathering with their mask. But I'm just saying I, I think that a lot of people understand to the other part of the question, a lot of people understand how important this election is. They understand mm-hmm. that maybe I never voted before in my life, which was a lot of athletes and entertainers, but this election I'm voting. And so I think the long lines are, are just a show of what America's feeling right now in the under construction phase.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of um, the long lines, let me get your reaction to this iconic photo that's been making the rounds this week. And I'm sure you've seen it. You're seeing it now there on the screen. This is Dana Clark. And you see her picture there with her 18 month-old son Mason waiting in line at City Hall in New Orleans as early voting began. Renee, when you look at that that picture, what does that picture say to you?
1: It says a lot. You know, she she it it seems like I and I don't know her situation, but for her to have to bring her son, you ne- you wouldn't necessarily think she would want to do that, but she's gotten the protective gear. So it tells me that she's conscious of the climate going on and that she knows it's that important. I would also assume that just with everything going on, she's probably standing in line for her son, you know, 18 month year old son. And we all talk about it. At what point does, does little black boys stop being cute and then start to be a threat? So she probably knows that as well. So I would say a lot is, is, it goes through my mind when I see that. And again, the underwhelming thing is, is that the overwhelming thing is that she's, it's that serious to her. I mean, look Mm -hmm. at what she's doing. She had a mask on herself. Under it, you know, just to protect her child from even her necessarily. So there was just a lot of things about that that, to me, it, it's special, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Renee, I should I should know this, but but I don't. Do you have
1: kids? I do. So I have a 13 year old boy. So that's wait, why I get
0: what? it. I'm sorry. Wait, yeah, you have fear, a 13
1: year old? <laughs> yeah. So I was blessed with I was blessed into it via relationship.
0: Hmm. Well, I, I asked the question because. You're a black woman, and now I know officially you are a black mom, and you are a black mom to a teenage boy. At what point, at what age did you have the talk with your son?
1: So, you know, a lot of people started to ask me, like, at what point did did your your mind change about all this? And, you know, the change for me was now being responsible for a 13-year-old black boy in America. You know, that's not that's that's a new situation for me. So, when I'm opting out and I see that mom voting, yeah, I get it. Like I completely get it because I I'm voting, I'm doing whatever I can because like you said, I'm responsible now for a 13-year-old boy in America and that's that's scary. That's that's a scary thought to want to protect somebody to see how innocent kids are and then to know that there's been kids killed 2 years older than him, you know, and 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 younger even than him. So, yeah, that, I would say a lot of people don't necessarily know that, but that is, that is a, big, a big one for me.
0: You know, I'm curious also because we've seen a lot um, when it comes to African-Americans, especially African-American men, being killed either by yeah. law enforcement or by vigilantes on video. And so I'm wondering if your son has ever come to you and asked, Mom, what's this about? And if he does, what the do, what do you tell him?
1: It was the Maud aubrey situation, you know, like he mm-hmm. had just seen it because it was all over everything. We lived here in Georgia. And his question was, well, why did they like why were they hunt like why were they following him? why What were they doing? And I was like, I honestly don't know the answer to that. And he was like, "But why did they do it? How did they know he was there? Like that he had so many kid questions because he doesn't necessarily get racism. So the easy answer for us is, well, They're they're clearly racist, and they followed him, and they tracked him, and this was a murder, like you know. And but to him, you don't really want to say it like that, and he doesn't really see the world like that. So it's like you don't want to really pop that bubble. So, it's a difficult conversation to navigate. You know, we had to say some people have biases, some people don't like people just for no reason, and that's the way we had to explain it. But yeah, that's tough telling a thirteen year old that.
0: And was he accepting of your? of your answer, or did he look at you like you had 12 heads in the way that I looked at my mother when she yeah. had to talk with me when I was a, a youngin?
1: Yeah, it was like, I don't necessarily, I, I don't think he quite, like, he knows racism and all that, but he 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 can't believe that level of it to where you would actually, like, hunt somebody down and then kill him. He, he can't really understand that level of hate because he just doesn't have it in his heart. So, yeah, he gave me that look of, like, That's the only, like, he thought there had to be more reason behind why somebody would do that. He's like, that's the only reason they don't know him. And I'm like, that's the only reason, you know? So that's hard for him to understand.
0: So then at what age do you think you're going to have to, unfortunately, pop that bubble that you're avoiding to show him this is the way the world really is?
1: Oh, I mean, we've done it, you know, in a sense of, oh, okay. like, yeah, no, we've done it because, like, for me, I don't want him to be unprepared for the world, you know, in a sense of he he get out there and be so naive, and 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 that's that's dangerous to him in itself. So we already have told him, you know, when you're in public or if ever there's a cop around, you listen and you do what's right. And, look, we're trying to tell the kid how to be the responsible adult, basically, because we just don't know what to expect.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. This is a, a, a very important election year, as you know, as your your work now off the field attests. Um, what do you say to voters in general, but black voters in particular, who might decide to do in 2020 what they did in 16, and that is not vote at all?
1: Yeah, we gotta do better. <laughs> like we gotta do better whether it's strolling to the polls, Uh, shouts to you know the divine nine and all of them but we have to make it a cultural thing and i use that word a lot because whenever we want to make something cool it'll be cool like so whatever the culture decides to make the thing it'll be the thing and so i keep on saying like we have to change the culture diddy did rock the vote you know and we were all rocking the vote and the yes we can for obama because it was the cool thing so the numbers were out of this world but we have to find a way to make voting just the new cultural thing. It's just the the standard. It's what we do, and there's not even a question about it. To the point where, if someone is not voting, you're like, bro, what you doing, man? You need to be voting. Like, that's come on now. We don't do that no more. Like, it has to be like a whole new normal.
0: Um, I, I hesitate to ask you this question and have you weighed into this controversy, but I'ma try. No, don't um, do it. <laughs> and then, okay, I'll ask it this way. Okay. What would you What would you say to black men who are contemplating voting for President Trump?
1: Oh gosh, you did it! What do you mean I'm gonna ask it this way? You did it! <laughs> <laughs> oh man! I mean, I, I do not
0: throw say... any other names in there. I'm just, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I see. It's it's interesting because you know everyone. It's it's almost a complex of everyone thinking that they can be the one to save the world you know it's like well I have an idea and I'm going to take it to the top and I'm going to see if the top can take my idea and help the people and it's it's just uh it's while maybe we get it but you have to make sure the top wants to help as well you know that has to be a two-way party and I think a lot of times it's a one-way party and it's it's well what it's a using thing and so I don't know I just you brought me in this, and I didn't want to be here. I would like to say I, would not, I did not want to really be here, but we're here. So I would say do your research. I mean, if you do your research, then I, I don't get it.
0: <laughs> All right, and now I'm going to ask you the flip, and that is what would you say if you had a chance to um, have a conversation with uh, former Vice President Joe Biden or even his running mate Kamala Harris? Um, and I'm asking this question because there's a there's a lot of talk about the fact that a lot of African American voters believe that the Democratic Party takes them for granted. And so, if you had a meeting with one or both of them, what would you say to them? Um, what what would you say to them that they have to do in order to show the Black community that they are not being taken for taken for granted?
1: I would say, do what you say you're going to do. You know a lot of times in politics, it's a lot of false promises. and And we understand that sometimes things get stuck, and you're you're fighting a different fight because you don't have control of the house or the senate and and things get stuck. I understand that, but a lot of times people, the way the best way you can show that you appreciate someone is listen to them. So I've been seeing that they've been going around and they've been doing a lot of listening. You know, uh, Joe Biden listened to Cardi B. She gave him an earful. I don't think I don't think he expected all of that, but she let him know. But I would say just I would say just listen. You know, a lot of times we make politics so complicated when it's 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 pretty. It could be simplified and, and watered down more in a sense of getting actions done.
0: And what would you say to those who um, who vote? But continue to feel like they're being disappointed by politicians. How? What would you advise them to do to maintain their enthusiasm for the political process?
1: Yeah, you just got to keep doing it. You know, there, the, you are not going to be the first person disappointed in a politician. And you're not going to be the last. <laughs> but if there's that's just this is politics. Like I don't even know how to explain it other than this is politics. Have you not watched any political shows? it's a lot going on behind the scenes and different things, but you can't just give up on democracy because you don't like how something went. You know, that's like just every time something goes wrong, you're like, all right, well, I'm not going to do it anymore. You can't be like that. We we can't be like that. So we have to stick it out. That's, that's where the term trust the process comes from, you know, and while we're not exactly where we should be right now, even in the political space or the social space, we're way further than we were before. So we got to just, we got to stick with it and trust the process.
0: Um, we got less than two minutes left, so I have to. I'm I'm going to end with this and ask you. You took time out from the current WNBA NBA season to work on social justice reform. You're doing a lot. Um, moments equal momentum. Or, yeah, I think I have that right. You got um, it. I got it. So at the end of this, what would success look like? Let's say you decide, I'm jumping back into the 2021 season. What would success for you look like once you make that decision?
1: Oh, it looks like this conversation, you know? On the Washington Post, it looks like the NBA boycotting and everyone the world stopping because they did it. It looks like the WNBA doing her, a Say Her Name campaign every week. Not every every week. It looks like Breonna Taylor's name on the back of every player's jersey this season. You know it 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 looks like uh, a new america to me you know it looks it looks like people actually getting it now before people used to love to ask the question well what's wrong what can we do i think we almost have even moved past that like okay y'all know what's wrong now everybody knows what we can do so now let's get to it so i think it looks like awareness and i think that people are way more aware i think people are aware now of how voting affects you like is a part of your voice being heard. I think it's it's protecting your power. So I, I think it looks a lot like what we're doing and then just keeping the train going, keeping the momentum going. Oh,
0: all, all right. Renee Montgomery, athlete activist, voter champion. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for for coming to Washington <laughs> sorry about that. Washington Post live today. And tell your parents I said hi. And thank you very much for the, the greetings and good wishes.
1: Thank you for having me. Thanks for
0: listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live
1: programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.